friends and fiends, reticule grippers, pearl snatchers, highwaymen, all kinds of characters that we love to to join us. We are at yet another gathering of our elevated ladyships and lordships to uh, delve into one of our favorite worlds, which is the world of Georgette Heyer slash Heyer. None of us is sure how to pronounce it, but we've decided it doesn't really matter. We're going to call her Heyer because our grandmother did. Anywho, we are delighted that you are here joining us today, and we have such an exciting little 30 minutes coming up here because not only am I joined by my usual um, excellent um, ladies, Sharon and Sandy, but for the first time ever, friends, we have the very special guest that we've been waiting for. Yes, that's Lady Laura. And uh, once again, I must confess, we are all related by blood. So you might be hearing us sipping our ratafia, slurping our tea or chocolate as one of us is drinking um, chocolate out of our our porcelain and our um, our china cups. As we plunge into today's very exciting discussion, we are going to talk about deception. Yes, indeed. Deception, disguise, masquerades. This is a very common device that we see in uh, Georgette, and we thought it would be a juicy way to start off our convo this afternoon. So, ladies, opening it up, deception, take it away. Well, I, Sandy, would like to talk a little bit about uh, The Convenient Marriage, one of my favorite of the Georgettes, uh, written in 19... written in 1934, but about uh, the year 1776. And um, it opens with her naive and fearless truth exchanged with her older sister. She's she's in the Winwood family. They are um, uh, uh, highly, highly uh, um, uh, noble by birth and um, utterly penniless. And the oldest sister has to marry uh, the Earl of Rule has offered um, because of her great birth and breeding. And they have she has the nose. Uh, he has offered her a, a, a marriage and he's he's got lots of lots of cash. And um, unfortunately, the sister is in love with someone else. And so the, the brave young sister, of course, I, I identify, um, but the brave youngest sister goes up and knocks on his door and says, hey, how about taking me instead? Look, I have the nose. Um, she does have a bit of a, 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 a stutter. And um, and he takes her in and says, oh, I, I think I like this one. And they get married. So it's one of those books where they get married right at the beginning, but the course of the book is where they fall in love and learn learn about each other. But um, to cut it short, I will just say that, that – um, as with so much of the disguise and deception in Georgette, it is an exposure in reality of the class lines and of these people who are hanging by their fingernails on the edge of the class system. And that um, in order to keep their, their, their place or keep their, their ability, they have to, they have to hide. So in this book, we've got, we've got a, a scene in dominoes and masks at a masquerade We've where where uh, rule takes the place in a in a card game of of his arch rival. We've got um, 
We have uh, her ne'er-do-well brother dressing up as a highwayman um, to to rob someone of the of the brooch that she's lost. Um, we have uh, we have lots of deception. We have we have Pelham's friend Pomeroy trying to convince the Earl of Rule to come to a car party that he hasn't made up yet um, to keep him away from an important event that's going to happen. So there's all kinds of of mayhem of that kind that's happening. So that's that's what I offer to start with. I have one to offer, um, which I think is kind of interesting, if if somewhat um, difficult, incomplete in my mind. Georgette wrote about one uh, extended family, and only one, and that was the family of the Duke of Avon. And she writes one of my favorites um, about the young ward, well, page and then ward and then wife of the Duke of Avon, young Leon, and who then becomes Leonie, and deception is forced upon her by her actual father who um, exchanges her at birth for a male child. He needs an heir and he takes Leonie and imposes her upon a peasant family and takes their young son. Prior to that book, which is called These Old Shades, there is her first book, which is called The Black Moth. And in that book, in that book, um, Lanny, or rather, the Duke of Avon is an evil character. And to go out in the rain with me. Am I hearing something? Sounds strange? like Cashel is chiming in on Georgette Heyer. Yes. Cashel might have some thoughts. Uh, Lady Laura's grandson, Cashel, uh, is perhaps an early fan of, yes. of Cashel, Georgette. What do you think about? I was just trying to find a story I love, which has the there are twins, a boy and a girl, and the girl is much bigger, and she pretends to be the boy, and the smaller one, who is the boy, pretends to be a girl. And they and that's how they escape discovery of because they've been they've been fighting in the wars together and now they're pretending to be the other kind. Do you think you'd like to read it? Um. What do you say? Well, I'm. Well, I was just gonna pick some tangerines. Oh, well, good. Okay, well, go take <laughs> All right. Tangerines, very important um, activity. Yes. Does anyone recall the title of that volume, which I find particularly interesting in the because we have a gender switch as well as a. There are two sets of twin novels. One masqueraders is, is the masqueraders, and one and one has the two identical twins, Kit and Oh, that's yes, Kit and Evelyn. Evelyn, exactly. And Evelyn, by his 60 seconds of birth, you know, birth order, is the one who is going to inherit it all. And Kit gets to be the adventurer and the man who is, you know, he's in the army, right? He's disappeared. And then in the diplomatic corps. In the diplomatic corps. And they end up switching places only because... Kit is covering for his twin's absence. Then the one that I think is particularly interesting and relevant to our discussion is 
the other one, Sharon, which has the masqueraders, the masqueraders, where the the girl half of the twins, the larger person, is also masquerading as a man, yes. so that they can. And this is what I find so interesting. Their father is a big figure in what we vaguely understand to be the Scottish fight, and mm-hmm. it then is also in France doing something Machiavellian. Now, this from Georgette, whose often professed choice was to write uh, meticulous historical fiction about periods not Regency, right? And yet in this case, she she throws that whole story to the wolves, essentially. Wh- what the involvement was, what the part, you know, what the pieces of the Scottish rebellion were, or the French, quote, troubles, um, which have caused these two twins to require uh, a lot of a lot of masking so that they actually have to change gender. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's I, I, I think that's that interesting and paradoxical to me that that is is Georgette herself seeing herself all the time as a a true historian monkey that she has to become for the, you know, to bring, pay for the eggs. She is writing these historic, you know, the, the frivolous mm-hmm. stories, right? Um, let's see. And she I, would rather I, be writing histories. Exactly. And here the, she's, mm-hmm. she's depending upon a kind of history in, in sort of throwing away the, the father character who's caused all this need for secrecy. Uh, and we don't even follow up what, what his role was, what he did. He's, he's kind of a magician figure that emerges at the end, but the troubles of the, of the twins who have of course fallen in love with, hi, Anthea, have fallen in love with their other gender person in a, in a fabulously confusing and sort of proto gay radar (laughs) setup. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to jump in here and uh, make some observations. You guys have brought up some wonderful instances of disguise and, and come up with some possible um, motivations for, for Georgette to use uh, disguise um, as a, as a way into other things that she wants to write. And Sandy made the just going to suggest to Laura yeah. that she mutes herself. Um, okay. Well, muting. Anthony and I are muting. <laughs> um, that um, it would be interesting to think about not only a class structure being revealed through disguise, but also the gender issue. I mean, the gender switching is one thing. But in the case of um, the convenient marriage, which Sandy brought up uh, from the beginning, it's the fault of the brother, Pelham entirely that this family is penniless. They have been brought to their knees literally um, by this and, and everybody's fine with it. Like all the sisters say, Oh, poor Pelham. Don't talk. Don't distress him. Meanwhile, this young man has gone off and gambled away the entire family fortune. Um, In, in other uh, instances, the fathers have gone off in um, 
Oh, what's my, uh, hey. is it the Grand Sophie? Laura, the father. sorry, I'm just going to interrupt you. Laura, you you muted yourself. You did not mute yourself. You pushed oh, your video. I had, oh, okay. I, I, there you go. <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, just to, to return, um, I think that there's something very important being said about the, the ability of these men to ruin entire families of completely dependent females. And, um, I, you know, it also says something, and I'm not sure what, about Georgette, that none of these females ever seem to regret, recriminate, um, uh, or have any sort of negative feedback for these male relatives. You know, uh, in, in the Grand Sophie, the father comes to the dinner table and and his his son Charles, who has to take on all of the responsibility, is firm and gruff with him. But the women fawn on him just as usual. So um, this is not really I'm, I'm straying from disguise, I guess. But uh, one of the things that happens, or one of the thread lines, the plot lines that Georgette often uses as um, the blame for the loss of these fortunes is gambling. Yes, and Horatia. Who Hori, who is the substitute sister in the convenient marriage, she says quite plainly from the beginning, you know, I you may not want to marry me because I have a stammer and I have gambling in my blood, just like my brother Pelham. And indeed, uh, much of the plotline of 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 the novel has to do with the fact that she does gamble away enormous amounts of money um, and has a comeuppance around gambling as well. But anyway, Sharon, take take it away. I, I just wanted to finish um, what I was talking about earlier because I find it very interesting um, that the one family that Georgette does follow is this the family of the Duke of Avon. And it starts with her first book, which has a lot of problems with it, being that it's a first book and um, and really comes out of a series of short stories that she wrote to amuse her brother. But um, in that book, a character named Jack Carstairs has taken on the blame for um, cheating at cards that his younger brother, Richard, actually did. And he must leave for the continent in disgrace. And when he comes back several years later, he comes back and disguises himself as a highwayman. Um, and right. The, right. That's a great one. And he... Uh, rescues a the the female of the piece Diana Bole who has been abducted by the evil duke of Avon who is very infatuated with her and he throughout the course of the book he has to reveal himself for not being a highwayman and then he has to reveal himself for not being the actual cheater and he's trying to keep his brother <laughs> from admitting this and um uh, that's the dramatic tension in that book. And then several years later, she wrote These Old Shades, in which the Duke of Avon is a hardened roué and sinner, but who he is was, the hero. Who was the villain in the first book. Yes, but he's the he is the hero in this book, in These Old Shades, and he is the one who recognizes in this young boy that he... Uh, that accosts him on the back streets of Paris one night, he recognizes um, facial characteristics of 
his arch enemy, the Vicomte de Saint-Vier. And the, that story entails unspooling that young, who we think, boy, from being a, a, a child of the streets who works and is beaten at, a, at an inn to a page for the Duke of Avon to the, the revelation of her, the fact that she's a woman and she becomes very unwillingly, she becomes his ward. She's very unhappy. She just wants to stay a boy, but he makes her be a girl. And then he takes her after he does some training of her to be a lady, he takes her back to Paris and there is and because there is this very strong family resemblance of red hair and very blue eyes, there's a great deal of suspicion and ultimately exposure that this is the child of this family who has been traded off to to a peasant family and the peasant's son put in her place. Then their child, who is, um, oh, I can't remember his name, the in Devil's Cub. He, yeah, I just finished Devil's Cub. I love that one. It's one of yeah. my favorites. He is going to whisk away the um, the flighty and and uh, sort of immoral young girl Sophia, who thinks that she's going to talk him into marrying her, which of course is not going to happen. He has to flee the country because he shot somebody in a duel, and her sister, who is the older, smarter one, of course, with gray eyes disguises herself as Sophia. Less pretty, less pretty. Let's, let's, let's remember she's less pretty, but she disguises herself and goes. So there's this, there is this, uh, disguise deception revelation theme all the way through those books. And, um, and then the first one again, share the first one is the black moth. The second one is these old shades, these old shades and the The third one is devil's cub. And then there's a fourth one, which is an infamous army in which the grandchild of the Duke of Avon, so the child of Mary Challoner and what's his name, Marsh? I can't remember. It's it's something um, with an L. He, his mother calls him Dominic. Um, that's his name is Dominic. And, but um, it's also something with an L like like love. His, la- his title is Vidal. Vidal, um, Vidal. That's right. People call him Vidal, but he's, their child, his mother calls him Dominic. Their child appears to be, although George is not real clear about this, appears to be the rather promiscuous Barbara who falls in love with um, a young man who is the younger brother of a a character that we see in a different book. Um, and he fights at Waterloo and loses his arm and she's attempting to rehabilitate herself and, and, and be allowed to take care of him and serve him and, and bring herself into a, you know, oh, into a I new and no, respectable. I had no idea that they yeah, were connected. It's a, it's that that infamous theory. army was, huh? It's the only one she did that in. And really it's disguised deception and redemption all the way through in every one of them. Every one of them has that theme. Um, and which the, is kind of strange. The infamous army isn't that the one that also has the character from a, a side character that is from um, the book. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of it. The April yes. Lady. 
No, no, no not that one. No, the, the one in there also. Judith, yeah, those, those two people. Judith are in Taverner that, and the Earl of Worth. Right. right, and her and her brother is in the is also in the infamous Perry. army. No, yes. it's his brother. It's Charles. Okay. Charles is the one. Charles who's, Audley. Charles Audley, but and also he's a charming um, guy. In uh, brother in, of 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 uh, the Earl of Worth. Right, and his brother-in-law, who is and, Perry, right? Yes, that, but I don't think Perry is in. He's in that one. He, he brings in, his wife there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's my right. My old buddy yeah. Hitchens said there, there is, there is yeah. no better war, novel of war than an infamous army, well, and uh, I, I think it's really one of her absolute best, and and the only one I think that wherein she brought her serious historical brain together with her Regency characters. I mean, she, she brings them as so many into that book and you know, that there's the Avon family prominently, the, uh, the people, I forget their name from, um, from April lady. And, and I think what saves her from her usual, just, lead-footedness, really, in the historical realm is her copious use of, uh, of Wellington's own diaries. And, really? Interesting. Yeah, she uses them a lot, and that's the counterpoint to the story of the balls and the, and the, absurd, the usual absurdities of the upper classes who have gone to almost to, to camp out in anticipation of of the last ne- battle of the Napoleonic era. Yes, they in have. In that they're absurdly close to the battlefield. And there's, the scenes are, I think it's a truly a brilliant novel. I Is that the Infamous you, Army? Would, infamous yeah. Army. Okay. And yeah. the heroine of that, the Barbara, is who's in love with Charles, she is the granddaughter of the Duke of Avon. So it... That family is pulled through four books, which is the only time she's it's done amazing. that. But I would also add, Laura, to that. There's Royal Escape, which is based on diaries of the time. Um, and there's another disguise for you. Actually, it's a great disguise novel. It is the story of a young woman who sort of gets deputized by her father, but is willing to do it to get Charles II out of Scotland after the route and with the What's English the name of that one share Royal escape. Oh, I haven't read that one. And she, yeah. um, yes, it, it is. I think among her historical ones, it's one of the best. Again, she's using di- you know, diary material directly. Yes. And the Spanish bride is another one, isn't it? Yep, it is. That's another really good one. Um, that one doesn't require disguise, really. Royal Escape is all about disguise. Charles II disguises himself as groom to Lady Jane, I forget what, and um, he rides behind her on the same horse as they, and she says she's traveling to see a her, her sister-in-law who's about to have a baby, um, in the Western part of the country. And there are English soldiers everywhere, everywhere they stop, every place they go through. And they're all looking for Charles II. And Jane sits up there in front of him and lies through her teeth and says that, no, this is her groom. And she's on her way to her, 
her sister-in-law and um, and saves his life. But it, it, she maintains the disguise by deceit. Is that based? Is that based on historical? Absolutely, like real- that's how he got out. Really? Yeah. Yep. Fascinating. Yeah. But again, Georgette as a historian. I will say that I could not get through the Spanish Bride. To me, that oh, was I love too, it. Many, too many descriptions <clears throat> of war. Yes, oh, I, I read love it. Too. I had the same reaction. I did make it through, but but what's so startling to me in terms of somebody who is so brilliantly comedic all the way through, you know, maybe the 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 first one, the Black Moth, she's not quite there, no. but she that tenor in her voice is almost entirely lacking. My Lord John, her final book for which she had projected three volumes is absolutely as dull as Ditchwater. Wow, interesting. And she she was heartbroken that she had to take off from that book at least twice to to write her last romantic, you know, her, her Regency novels because she was so emotionally tied to this my lord john figure uh, lord john is the younger brother one of the younger brothers of the same prince harry who would you know is henry the fifth you know wow. Uh, wow. and and so in in every way <laughs> a minor figure really well, thank goodness um, she took she time was, off because yeah. those two books are Charity Girl and Lady of Quality. I mean, what they're so much better than the book that she was working exactly. on. Exactly. I, I find it really an interesting psychological study. How could she so look down on her her unbelievable talent? Oh, she, and, yeah, she was and odious be, about and herself. Be in love with this other version of herself, which Where it was so boring. <laughs> was so dull exactly right. and and yet i think i think that it really speaks to the louder issue of what what is that prison of romance novel that she clearly looked down on as as a wider society did right and we we discussed this on our very first podcast um the uh the regrettable misogyny that um, that we perceive in her writing about herself. I mean, the, the only things that she said about um, herself and the romance genre was that she she felt sorry for her fans or something that she that she had to re- well, write she, such she drivel to make to a living. Shot. She said exactly. She so she herself this is is expressing the views of the wider world in terms of disrespecting what she did so beautifully. And, and I think on the other hand, because it was more quote unquote serious, having undue respect for the work that she felt was more meaningful. And that's what makes the, an infamous army, the great exception in a way. And she, she took, she brought her characters and her wittiness and the polish that is hers into an otherwise what could have been one of her dreary historical pieces. And yet she 
she she brought them together. It's really a remarkable book to study from that point of view, I think. Now, I yeah. see that we only have a few minutes left, and I just I wouldn't want to leave this discussion of deception and disguise without mentioning the Corinthian and the choice of the plot, which is the young girl escaping from her house um, dressed as a boy and then being picked up by our hero, and that oh, they yes. travel together as two men for the most of the book. And this is something that I think winds through all of these themes that we've been talking about, which is a way of, of, of seeing gender as disguise, seeing gender as a construct that you can put on and take off. And that, um, that, um, and, and that one of the, one of the ways that we know our hero is our hero is that he appreciates the, um, the so-called masculine qualities that have been given to the, to the, um, the our, our heroine and right right plucky and yeah. um, capable and doesn't faint in blood and all yeah. that kind of stuff all yeah. of that. I think yeah. it's worth mentioning about that novel too that the final scene when they realize and and declare their love to each other in that last two seconds of any Georgette uh, the astonished coach passengers yes. look back to see Sir Richard Wyndham with his arms around Penn. The young man. The young right. man. So it's right. as close as you ever get in Georgette, I think, to very like genuine, like the end you know, of a genuine <laughs> cross-sexual cross romance. It's kind of, That's a, right. kind of a great moment. Mm-hmm. Well, also just to, um, to add that it, it was because of another reason we know our hero is our hero is because of his care for the lady's reputation and Penn being dressed as a boy enables her to travel without losing her reputation. It allows her to have adventures. It allows her to meet people and talk to people and, um, and have a freedom from this crushing pressure to maintain your virginal reputation, i.e. never having traveled or spent more than, you know, spent as much as 24 hours alone in the company of a man without your Abigail or your chaperone. In and, order, I might add, so that you can put, keep, continue to put food in your own and your family's mouth for the rest well, of your lives. Exactly. Um, yeah, I just finished, um, actually, Cher, um, The Devil's Cub, which I hadn't read before. And oh. the the fact that Mary Char- Charlatan or Ch- Chaloner. Chaloner winds up literally penniless and um, being scorned as, you know, uh, as, as a lady of the night or something, as a, you know, an opera dancer or whatever it is that they think she is at the, at the inn where, unbeknownst to her, her future father-in-law, the Duke of Avon, is staying. Um, and be, but before he rescues her, she, is, she realizes she is in this dreadful plight, all because she is running away from... Um, um, what was his name again, Cher? Vidal. Vidal. Vidal, Dominique, um, with his bizarre. And, you know, he's a hard one to like. Um, Dominique, really, he threatens to rape her earlier in the book. Yes, he uh, does. And it's she just shoots about him that. for it. And she shoots him. And so, so you'll, you, and in so doing, uh, gets his admiration. And eventually he falls in love with her for her, her, <laughs> her butch qualities. But um, yeah, gender and sexuality really 
a rich subject. Well, my lords and ladies, I fear the time is nigh. Um, we must gather our reticules and um, finish our chocolates and uh, bid you farewell for for this episode. But we hope to see you next time uh, with more scintillating and um, you know ripped from the headlines discussion of our favorite authoress. And I thank all your ladyships, Laura, Sharon, and Sandy for joining us as always. And Laura, how delightful to have uh, the the company of the missing blood relation um, as uh, in this particular episode. to be here. Absolutely. (laughs) Pleasure to be here as always. All right, ladies and lords, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. 